0: Hello, everyone, and welcome again back to Revived School. We are excited to be finishing up the book of Proverbs. My name is Gordy Hinkey. I'm one of those pastors from northern Indiana, and I am the opening act for Fred Staten coming up in a couple days. And so therefore, we'll get to the good stuff. <laughs> one of the things that I, I believe is very important for us, and especially when we're talking about Proverbs, there's so many sections in any one of the Proverbs that you wonder, what am I supposed to get out of this? And yet each one could speak to you at a different time depending on where you are. And so I'm, I have the assignment of Proverbs 30 and 31, but we're going to spend most of our time in this study in just two passages. And so as we're, as we're going through revived school, I want you to just It's great to read through it all because there's different times when certain things will speak to you. And I believe that like Psalm 1 says, you know, blessed is the man who walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly and all that. And it says, but in his law, doth he meditate both day and night and he shall be like the tree planted by the water and uh, brings forth its fruit in every season. Them are the things that I want you to understand, because I believe that if you have the word and if you own the word, it becomes something you can meditate on day and night. And God knows how to, by his spirit, bring up the things that you need for this time. And this is what I found in this. I studied uh, both chapters very much, but I, I found myself fastening on two sections of scripture here that are just enlightening to me. And so we're going to go in chapter 30 uh, to verse uh, one, just for a moment, because I'd like you to see it says this. Uh, the words of Agur, the son of Jaca, even the, uh, the prophecy, the man spoke unto Ithiel, even unto Ithiel and Yukal. One of the things that some people have looked at and talked about, uh, is who are these people in these last two Proverbs? I was in my study, I found that there were six names that the Talmud refers to Solomon as. Besides Solomon, there would be, um, Jedediah, it would be Koheleth, Agar, Lemuel, and then he's also called the son of Jaka. And so um I don't know. I I don't, I can't prove any of that, but it opened up to me what this chapter and the next chapter could possibly mean that they were written in a different season, whether the, I don't know how names worked exactly back then and why somebody would have six of them, but it's just, so we don't trip over things, but also know there's possibility of some things and, and what might've been the storyline. So anyways, I want to jump right down to verse seven and, um, we're just going to spend some time in, in three verses here. And uh, I want to just read through verses seven through nine. And then we're going to talk some about this. And then we're going to go down just into the next section. It says this, two things have I required of thee. Deny me not them before I die. Remove far from me vanity, that word that we have so much in the next book, Ecclesiastes. Remove far from me vanity vanity and lies. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with food convenient for me, lest I be full and deny thee and say, who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and take the name of my God in vain. Now, I look at human nature and those of us as now, you know, after the garden, we, we become fallen creatures. So I am drawn to two things. I'm drawn to self-reliance. I'm drawn to comfort. I'm drawn to self-protection. I'm drawn to these things by this nature of sin that is within me that I look out for me. And so recognizing that and recognizing in this passage that I am under the authority of God, God help me with the passions of this life. Here's where I don't do good. I don't do good if I have too much because then I become self-reliant and my pendulum's going to swing over in that place. Or I it becomes so lean that I can't trust you that you're going to bring the things to me and I'm going to break the law and find a way to make this work for me. In, in effect, of what it says is stealing. And so when I see this passage, I look at this and say, "God, we, we've got a zone in here where you can really help me to walk in these good places." What I find is that I think my zone is this wide, and God says, "My zone in this is this wide." And what he wants me to do is learn how to depend on him in a wider birth than what I think I can actually do it. And that's why trusting him becomes part of the episode of life, so to speak. But when I see this thing, I look at a couple of places and I don't know, there's a place in in 1 Samuel 21 that we're not going to go there so you don't even have to worry about it, but I wanted to just bring it to you. And this is where... David is being chased by Saul, and he's got men with him, and he's really hungry. And I don't know if you guys remember that passage. Kevin, you remember that passage? What happens out of that? He goes in, and he actually eats the showbread, which is supposed to be for the priests. And so you you look at this, and you're going, God, I, I don't know how to do this. And yet what he did, he did it with permission. So he actually didn't steal it, even though it was against the law. And I, and I look at that and I'm going, God knows how to bring the things to us. And yet, then there's the other end of this. And there's these, in, in Revelations chapters two and three, there's these seven churches that all have letters written to them. And you've got different flavors of different places and different styles of churches written in these things. And yet this last church is this, and and, and, and God says to it and has no commendation for the church of Laodicea. But what he does say is he says, you say that you are rich and increased with goods and have no needs, and you can't even see that you are poor, wretched, blind, and naked. They have lost sight in their abundance of any need for God. They have lost sight of in in their ability to control their lives, what, what they do, that they don't see their need for anything outside of the circle in which they're living. And so when I see these two things, I look at David who would be famished and not having anywhere to go. So where does he go? He goes to the priest of the Lord. And then you you say, man, I don't want to get into the place because what would my next step have been? Would I have gone and stolen something so my men could eat? Or could I get to the place where even we're called the church And we really don't have a need. And in that very passage of Revelation chapter three, that's where we get the idea of Jesus standing at the door. He's actually, it says, behold, I stand at the door and knock. What it would give is the indication that he's outside the church knocking on the door to see if they'll let him in. And I I look at these two places and I'm saying, God, I would say the exact same thing about me. I don't ever want to get to the place. God, keep me from the desperation that would cause me to sin against you because it's not what my heart would desire. But I have this self-control and self-reliance desire in me that I make sure that my comfort zone is a certain size. But I also know this, and I've seen this too much, especially in these days, where abundance clouds out the need and any kind of desperation for the things of God. And so these things... um, You know, in in this proverb, it's just saying, "God, remove these things far from me. I I don't I don't want to be caught in the in the between the vanity and the lies. I don't want to be caught in any of the extremes of this, because I realize that in either one of them, I would move away from you. And so, in that, I I think that that's something we look at as human nature. And I I wrote this down. I, I believe this is a natural man relating to a spiritual God. And I'm not content when I'm full and I'm not trustworthy when I'm in hunger. And, and so in this, I, I have to recognize my condition so that I see this. So what that does, it brings me to another place and we're gonna spend most of our time here. And that is, we're gonna read um, verses 11 through 14. Now this may not be what anyone else gets out of this, but this is something that it triggered me. And um, it says this, There is a generation that curseth their father and doth not bless their mother. There is a generation that are pure in their own eyes and yet is not washed from their filthiness. There is a generation, oh, how lofty are their eyes and their eyelids are lifted up. There is a generation whose teeth are as swords and their jaw teeth as knives to devour the poor from off the earth and the needy from among men. In this passage, um, I'm, I'm going to just reveal a couple things about myself and then I'm going to go into this. First of all, let me just say this. I consider myself, I, I call myself this. I, In believing the ways of God, the pattern of scripture, I call myself, and please don't be offended, I am a progressive dispensationalist. I hope that doesn't surprise too many people. Here's what I mean by a progressive dispensationalist. I believe, and I'm going to go through the dispensations, what I believe to show you this generation. I believe that God started with innocence in the garden and gave man a perfect spirit in a perfect environment, in the perfect um, nature, so that he would see that there is a measurement when he can walk fully with God, and yet what we found in that is in the midst of that, he could be tempted to sin. That's that dispensation of innocence. And, and what I mean by de- dispensations is there's time periods where God changes the relationship because it got destroyed by sin. But now he's progressively bringing us back to understanding him. And this is what I want you to see in this passage. And I'm I'm just going to show you something here. So I'm going to write down um, just a couple things here. The first um, dispensation that I'm going to deal with is innocence. And it, 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 all that was was in the garden and they were created perfect. And they had a perfect environment, perfect relationship with God. Still tempted to sin, so they came into the next dispensation. Conscience. So they ate of the tree, of the knowledge of the good and evil. And from then on, it says that man did whatever was right in his own eyes, and yet he had these choices. There was constantly the, but now the nature of sin, so we're now we're, we got the pendulum swings. The next dispensation, what I would call human government, And I will go through and explain these a little bit more as we go along. There's a dispensation of human government. After the dispensation of human government, there's the dispensation of promise. After promise, there's the dispensation of law. After law, there's a dispensation of grace. And then there's still a dispensation to come. And that will be the dispensation of peace. Look, if you're not one who has this in your arsenal of of uh, theology, it's no problem. Look, I don't split hairs on this stuff. But I believe that each one of these represent something in a way that God reveals himself to mankind in a new fashion, in a different way. But what I also want to show you is that there's a generation in each one of these um, progressed dispensations. When I when I say the dispensation of innocence, obviously there were only two at the end of that, and that ended the beautiful relationship, and we went into the, the dispensation of conscience. This was a long dispensation where every man did what was right in his own eyes. And then it had to end because the Bible says very clearly that the earth was filled with wickedness and violence covered the face of the earth. And this is the time when it came to that dispensation ended with a flood. Noah became the preacher of righteousness and the deliverance of the world. And so what I want to say is this this passage in Proverbs chapter 30 about this generation that's repeated four times, I believe, and this is just... I can't prove this in any fashion, but I believe since we're talking about the wisest man and I believe that these came from or in this time of Solomon, that the wisdom of Solomon is understood and maybe even prophetically speaking, historically speaking, that these things were a mark at that time. But I believe we can take this forward. And that every dispensation could be marked by a generation that does these things. And you look at the dispensation of conscience and you're going, it, it, it became so blatantly violent and wicked and evil and self-reliant and forgetting any part of that good and evil just going to evil that God had to destroy it. And yet in the midst of that, God gave the deliverance and brought him into where he set up this dispensation of human government. And the reason we call it that is simply because when they came off of the ark, God told Noah, he said, no more will I require the earth to be responsible for innocent blood. From now on, whoever sheds innocent blood, his, his blood is required at man's hand. So in order to have law enforcement, you have to have human government. When I look at human government and I see how this has gone on, we still have the nature of sin and we're still working with conscience and every man does what's right in his own eyes. The only thing we have now is that there's a threat of consequence. And so if you have the threat of consequence, now at least it adds a measure of something to, you know, distill, so to speak, evil. But what we see is that this generation keeps moving and moving and moving and gets more wicked and violent all the time. And these are the people who, and I'll explain this even further. Let me just intervene just a little bit and go into promise and law. Abraham had the promise. Abraham was a man that was picked out of all the rest of the people. And God said, I want to choose him. And he's going to be the father of many nations. He is going to intervene in this place of human government that is becoming more wicked and violent all the time. And so in this place, he gives one man promise and said, I want to make you, I want to make an example out of you, basically. I want to raise out of your seed a brand new people. And instead of destroying people, I'm going to take out of you and make a brand new people and make there so that there's a comparative shopping here so that people will see the blessing of God compared to the judgment of God. 400 years later, we have the dispensation of law. All it is is the extension of Abraham's seed now getting as the people of God coming out of Egypt. So in, in each of these areas, you can see how God had a people who was violent, wicked, going towards evil more and more. This generation. And in that, God brings an intervention and he says, okay, now I'm going to show you a new pattern in a new way. And I want to sh- give you this example. So you, you have each one of these dispensations that comes down. And uh, even if you would consider that Pharaoh would be, and, and the Egypt, Egyptian people would have been those who have lofty eyes. They, they, they lifted up themselves. They were the empire of the day. They're the ones who are saying, hey, we, we're, we'll destroy you. We'll take care of you. And yet what they didn't contend was with the power of God. And we see that in the plagues. And God turned the tables on Pharaoh and brought the deliverer Moses and the people of Israel out and gave them a new journey and a new dispensation. You see how the generation before and, and then what it produces in a new generation. Then you come down to where you have this promise of law and promise and law with the children of Israel. But what did they do? They did this. We, we got fools. And so we forget God. We we did this this thing where give me too much and I'll forget you. We think we can just handle it ourselves. And so God says, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to make a brand new person. I'm going to send my son Christ into this earth so that he can, out of all of these people, have a new heritage. And you see the wicked and perverse generation that Jesus called out that had come out of the previous dispensations. And there's always a generation. And we move in these patterns of thought. We move in these patterns of wickedness and God intervenes. We're in the dispensation of grace. I believe this is the time of the Gentiles. I believe that as we progress through this time, we're watching more and more violence come. We're watching the wickedness come. We're watching these, these verses come about to where we, we have, the church, <laughs> I won't say it carefully. We've developed so much abundance, especially in this nation, to where we, we barely need God to keep our programs or the rest of civilization is down to the place where we'll stomp on anybody and take anything to ourselves. And we're fulfilling both ends of the spectrum of this earlier passage. And, and I look at this and I'm going, God, help us. And yet that's exactly what he wants to do. I believe we're in the days of crying out to say, God, redeem us from what what's happening right now. In fact, I want to, I want to, um, Kevin, if you would go to second Timothy chapter three and, um, In in these verses, it it says something. And I want you to keep the Proverbs passage in mind as we look at this passage because this says, this know also. This is Paul writing to Timothy and talking about what? That in the last days, perilous times shall come. In the last days, which I believe were there, these are going to be the days that are here. We're going to read through several verses. Men, shall be lovers of their own selves. Remember Proverbs now. Covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, completely unsatisfied, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. When you see that, add one more verse. Verse 5, having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. From that, turn away. Okay, so I'm just going to capsulize this just a little bit. When I see This passage saying there's a generation and I look at this generation and I see how the pattern of these dispensations come into play. I realize that for most of us, we wouldn't go there. That's what I love about meditation, bringing revelation. I believe that the meditation on the word of God will foment. It will, you, you can, you know, do the cow thing and regurgitate and chew on it the next time. Do the seven stomachs of the spirit or whatever there are, um, you know, just just walk with that a little bit. But what happens out of that is you you develop revelation. God will speak to you in ways and you're going, man, I know that's not me. I know that that's the spirit of God. Now, you have to be careful. You can't just, you know, jump on the trampoline and just start jumping with the things of God and making up what you want. But I think you'll know when the Spirit of God is speaking to you. And that's what I see out of this. Why would it be significant for somebody in the middle of Proverbs 30 to say, there's a generation? And he repeats these four specific, t- t- uh, you know, points of the generation. And I'm just looking at this and I'm going, man, that makes sense to me. Because what it shows, it shows the decline of the generation and the wickedness that will come. And then it calls the the, the uh, definite intervention of God. And we know that there's an intervention coming. We know that there's going to be an end of things. And we know that that's why we call them the last days. But I look at the generation that is here. And I believe that all of us would look and say, this is the generation that we live in. These are the things that we're facing. And meanwhile, what we, what we are typically brought to is, but I still want to live in comfort. God, I, I, I have this parameter just like this and I, I'd like to stay within it. Help me to stay within this. And he's going, no, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to stretch your parameters because see, it's my plan. I'm not, I'm not nearly as worried about your comfort I want you to learn to live in my standard instead of me having to satisfy you in your standard. And the generation that has to have their standard is the generation that will pass away. And these are the things that I feel so compelled in in these last days. I feel even as one who wants to speak to the church in general to say, we are in the days of inspection of the spirit. We are in days when the spirit of God is calling us just like he did in every one of those seven revelation churches. He who has an ear, let him hear what the spirit is saying to the church. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the spirit is saying to the church. And we're sitting in revive school. How does God speak? He speaks by revelation, but what he reveals is himself through his word. By his spirit, he brings the revelation to say, do you know the day you're in? Do you know the times you're in? Do you know where the truth is? Do you know the measurement of truth? Can you can you see the canon of my spirit, the measuring rod to know where we are? I, I look at where we live today and I see, I'm a news watcher. I, I love to watch the news, but the reason I can even stand the news is because I see this. I see the voice of God in the midst of this. We have a president right now that I I believe in the mercy of God is doing things that are that are trying to restore certain parts of righteousness. And yet I see another wave of things. And please understand, I'm not defending his his character in some fashion. We get so worried about that. What I'm looking at is what is the plan of God for this nation at this time? What is it that is going to bring the intervention that God is requiring? What is it that's going to change the dynamics so that self-reliance or stealing isn't so exposed to us who are trying to follow the ways of God? These are things that weigh on me. I, I live in this environment. And so when I watch the news, I'm just looking and going, God, help us. Help us that we would, that we would really say, God, not my will but thine be done. Not what I want to see happen, but where am I in your timeline? And God, keep me from these things. I know that I'm going to be stretched. I know that I'm going to be pushed back and forth, but help me that I don't get off in these areas. There, there, are, there are other passages in, in um, Proverbs 30 that I think you should take looks at. Just read through, but in light of this, I believe that in, in verses, uh, 15 and 16, it talks about an entitlement generation. I believe that in verse 21, 22 and 23, and you'll reference these yourselves. I believe in that it talks about things that are completely out of order. And then it talks in verses 24 through 28. It talks about four things that are wise, even though they're small in their, in their way. And what I look at this and I'm going, actually, I see pattern in this, that in the middle of the wickedness and in the middle of the, of the self-identity of entitlement and in some of these areas, there's reasons why things have gone the way they are, but there's answers of how people can live in the midst of it. And if you would see it in that pattern and then, you know, see this generation, what, how are we supposed to live in this generation? The answers are right here in Proverbs chapter 30. We, we can see that God gives us the wisdom. I, I was looking through, in fact, a couple of the things that I, I'll just reference very quickly as we close out here. In, in that last passage of verses 24 through 28, it has the ants and the conies and the locusts and the spiders. And and yet each one of those, I, I'm one who, at one point we had some carpenter ants in our house and I couldn't figure out how to get rid of them because man, they show up in droves after a while. But I didn't realize that they actually do something that sets a trail that one can follow the other. It's absolutely invisible, but they can have a trail. But now we have figured out that they're attracted to certain things and I would just put out little bits of bait and they would line up, like cows in stalls, and they would eat this stuff, take it back, and it completely destroys them. but the ants they they are a civilized bunch. the conies, which i I figured out they are um, by study hyrax is called a rock rabbit and but they live in the desert, and the locust you know you know, you know the plague of locusts, but they came, they have no king they don 't have somebody telling them let 's all go do this, but they operate in huge bands a- and then the spider. Crazy how they can show up in the middle of nowhere. It says they can live in king's palaces. Doesn't matter how much you dust and clean, you can have spiders. <laughs> I think you've figured that out by now if you've lived very long. What I'm saying is all of that teaches us how that God puts wisdom on the inside of us that we can live in what? In this generation. This generation may be that generation spoken of in this passage And yet we learn how to live in this generation. I hope this has been enlightening to you. That's all the time we have. So God bless you. See you tomorrow.